Welcome to the show today. Uh, this episode of Staying in the Room, we're um, welcome. We're, we're happy to welcome Lenora Champagne from Bright Ventures. Uh, she's a phenomenal investor, um, you know, a rising star in VC, someone who um, has, has built a great reputation for herself, um, you know, as, as the kind of VC that can see around corners um, and is very supportive of founders in a, in a myriad of ways that we look forward to getting into. So, you know, as you know, our show is all about saying it in the room and talking about the hard topics um, directly and frankly, and we hope to do a, a good amount of that today with Lenore. So Lenore, with that, um, I, I'd, I'd love for you to give some background on yourself and, and Bright Ventures and what you're up to. Sure, I'd love to. It's one of my favorite topics, um, and thank you for having me. So background on myself, um, I'm from Philadelphia, and I've spent most of my life and career on the East Coast of the U.S., which means I've spent time working a tremendous amount of talent and possibility. And I think a lot of my career has been influenced by both of those things being present. Um, in terms of my professional background, I've been an investor for part of my career. I was at a foundation funded by the U.S. government, seated in Haiti, responsible for structuring and deploying a pool of capital there. I also went on to invest at 645 Ventures, a really exciting firm that invests in um, mostly enterprise-focused software companies at the relatively earlier stages in companies like C to A. Um, got to join 645 when they were building their fund one because it gave me the confidence and a toolkit to build my own fund one at Bright Ventures. Um, and a lot of people ask, like, why would you leave 645? It's such a great firm. I do not at all disagree. Um, they were my very first call and I that I was ready to start raising a fund. However, I started Bright Ventures because I saw an opportunity based on my own strengths, as well as what I saw in the market, to build something that reflected what I thought the founders of the future would look like. These are founders who want to build companies that reflect the values and principles that they think will be resilient in a really diverse, rapidly changing market. Um, we call this inclusive leadership. These are also founders who care about their own well-being and the impact that they have on their teams and on their target market. So I built Bright Ventures to, to build on my deep expertise in those areas and create a explicitly focused on founders. That's, that's phenomenal. That's what, so I, I have a couple of things I want to pick up on right away. Haiti and 645, very different things, but I can see how, you know, investing in Haiti, you know, might yield a, a more compassionate, you know, perspective, which is, I think, important um, if you're a founder or a funder. Um, and 645, obviously a great shop. You know, they've done a lot of very notable deals. And so I'm, I'm sure you've learned all the mechanics of like investing there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those, you know, those subtle differences and how they may, maybe have made you into a great fund manager as well? Sure, I can try. So in Haiti, I was investing in a, in a severely undercapitalized market, right? There's not a tremendous amount of investment that was happening in Haiti when I was there, um, especially not into startups and social enterprises. My responsibility was to deploy a pool of what was intended as philanthropic capital, but alongside market rate investors. So I got a sort of trial by fire masterclass in sharing with market rate investors ways to find and reprice value in, in relatively undercapitalized markets. Um, I, I learned a tremendous amount and that was an incredibly rich career experience. 
but I left Haiti really seeking to learn more about more traditional ways of investing, sort of wanting to understand how um, how the companies that shape how we all live and work are financed. And as I learned more about the landscape, I understood that venture capital was a mechanism that was quite commonly used, and I sought out opportunities to learn. Um, so. When I was studying in my MBA, I started to, to intern, basically work for free for a number of, of funds and do projects. When I joined 645, it was because um, as I got to know Namdi Okike, who had more of a um, growth stage investment experience as he came out of Insight Partners, I recognized that super high integrity team at 645, really, really thoughtful investors. And I saw in the, the opportunity to join 645, really the opportunity to learn a lot from someone who had studied investment sort of as a science. And I really respected that. And so um, I, I look back on my time at 645 as a really tremendous opportunity to, to apprentice with someone who I, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, I think where Bright Ventures lands is somewhere in the middle. There's definitely a science here. We take a lot of rigor and diligence to our investment perspective, and we seek to find opportunity and generate alpha by looking at opportunities that other investors might overlook. And we feel uniquely positioned to do that, given my expertise in inclusion and working with uh, diverse founders. Oh, that, that's, that's great. That's great. Um, any specific you know verticals that you tend to focus on that um, make, make, uh, you know, sort of like illuminate your, your investment pieces. And then also, you know, uh, just picking up on like, you know, this emerging manager sort of, you know, concept, you know, I think, I think, you know, you, you know, well, that Latimer, you know, ventures, one of our focus points is developing these strong partnerships with, um, you know, sort of C stage, you know, emerging managers. And we think that there's a, a whole cadre of emerging managers that are, they sit between emerging managers and fully emerged managers. And they have more, you know, similar backgrounds to you. They've worked at places that have taught them the mechanics of investing. They've, they've managed a small pot of money for, you know, it's some institutional money, philanthropic money or something like that. There are clues that tell us that they, you know, have a, a higher likelihood than, than others to un, uh, unsurface, you know, unicorns or unicorns or whatever, you know, we're calling them today. Um, do, you, do you see that uh, as well uh, in the market when you look at other emerging managers that are out there today? Um, yeah, maybe we could start there. Sure. Uh, one of the things I think is most exciting for sort of humanity as a whole is that the people who are making decisions about capital allocation in innovation are more diverse than they have historically been. I think that's important because it means that we're going to see new classes of companies emerge. We're going to see different kinds of entrepreneurs get funded. And I'm not someone who believes that we should burn it all down and reinvent investing. I think there are some fundamental math skills that we have to have as investors and skills of analysis and in building companies. And I think that historically we've missed a lot in the companies that we've funded and we've built companies that have a more narrow focus that might actually be valuable both from a returns perspective and certainly from a social perspective. So I'm really excited about the new class of emerging managers for that reason. I think we'll all become better investors because of it. I think that something different means that we can create something new. And I'm really excited and, and frankly honored to be part of a group of people who I think are, are challenging norms and building something different. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to, to have you here and have you talking about these subjects for sure. But, but Lenore, you know, again, just to, say, just, just to say it in the room, you know, a lot of 
you know, black and brown founders, right? Because, you know, we're talking about the you know, underrepresented, overlooked people and, and tech, you know, that's, that's predominantly black and brown founders, right? Like we don't always get the, the you know, sort of largesse to, to take risk in ways that, you know, sort of the rest of the economy might be able to take risk, right? Like it, it, it might be difficult for us to take a flyer on some consumer application idea, you know, that we have around augmenting, you know, reality using, you know, tokens or something, right? Like, you know, it's an un unshaped, unknowable thing, you know, with an uncertain path. And just given, you know, sort of the, the socioeconomic dynamics, poverty dynamics that a lot of, you know, us like have dealt with or come from, we can't always take those risks. How, how do you encourage that? What are the, some of the support tools? I recall one of our conversations earlier, talking about mental health support and some of the things that you provide to, to founders to help them sort of manage, you know, the, the growth and development of the ideas that they're working on, uh, which I think is amazing. Maybe you could, you know, pick up on that. Absolutely. I think this is such an important question because I do want to see more companies built by Black founders. And I also want to make sure that founders really understand the risk profile of the businesses they're building and are building a life and a financial sort of future that actually reflects the needs and risk tolerance of their own families and communities. I think this is a huge deal and it's why a lot of black founders, it's one of unfortunately a long list of reasons that I think many diverse founders have been effectively left out of venture to date. But I think this is this is one that we have control over and can be really thoughtful about. So when I say that, what I mean is building a company, um, you have to be able to operate under limited resources. And it's pretty much, um, there's a huge sort of bifurcation of potential outcomes, right? You can crash and burn and have spent time that you could have spent working at a potentially stable and well-paying job, building something that doesn't actually net much for you and your family. Um, or you could have a life-changing outcome, but it's hard to know which of those is gonna happen at the beginning. And so it's important to have done some, some planning. Um, when we ask about support, what I think about is one, actually having someone to, to support you in validating your business idea early on. This is in some cases, the role of, of accelerators or of founders who have been there before. It can also be the role of early stage investors if you're sure that you can trust them and if, and if you're sure that they're on your side, um, that, that can be an interesting partnership. But beyond the financial and company building, one of the biggest challenges that I've seen for founders of color is to your point, Luke, mental health. And um, it's not that it's not that I think that founders of color can't stand the pressure. Actually, it's the opposite. It's that we tend to work so hard and be willing to do so much to move our company and our community forward that we can really put ourselves at long-term risk. And so at Bright Ventures, we designed a system of supports for founders, including mental health, peer and um, support that's actually culturally competent, that actually understands the entrepreneur and their position, that helps them build the company in community and scale it in ways that are actually um, workable for them. So to be, to be frank, that can look really different for different founders. Some founders appreciate the opportunity to pop in and meditate. Other founders need to vent. Other founders will be able to build strategies together. But we have all of those options available, and we think it's I don't think you can actually grow the amount of capital deployed to um, diverse founders and grow their outcomes without providing any support because we know systemically that that support's not been there and that some of us sort of 
fall to some of the risk that, that we were describing earlier. So that's how we see that that spectrum and happy to talk more about any of it. No, it's, it's brilliant. I, I think it's a it, it's a clever, you know, sort of appendage that you're you're you know rightfully adding to to, to the mix of services uh, solutions um, you're using to support you know entrepreneurs you know, within your fund. I haven't heard of another fund that, that that thinks this way, but I think it can only lead to good outcomes because like the reality is, Lenore, as you know, like as you started at the very beginning, like you know you might fail or, or you might get to some incredible outside success or, you know, you, you know, it's it certainly compared against, you know, working a nine to five job, you know, job, there are, you know, some options there, but, and on all of those, on all of those options, whether you fail or succeed, like having sound mental health is, is going to be critical, especially if you fail. Right. So I, I think the support that you're offering is, is phenomenal. And I hadn't heard about that um, in other um, scenarios. Yeah. But, and so I want to pivot, you know, for a second to, because all this is great, right? All, talking about, you know, the investment that we need to make in black and brown founders, you know, the, the support that we're going to give them, you know, across their journey, um, you know, obviously critical, you know, when I, I was a founder and there weren't things like that. And so for seven years, I really hustled and worked hard to get to a great outcome. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, uh, it, it, it impacted me in a variety of ways, emotionally, and, you know, uh, mentally, all those things were at, at, you know, things at the forefront that I had to think about, you know, throughout my journey. And I took about a year after that to just like kind of work at a different pace, um, uh, which, which certainly helped, right, incorporating more meditation and yoga into my diet. Um, but, you know, along that journey, I, I began to sort of really dig into some of the underlying statistics that, you know, you know sort of spoke to the level of support you know, both in terms of, you know, health, mental health support and things like that, as well as, um, you know, financial support, just fundraising, you know, financing of businesses, uh, black and brown businesses. And when you, everyone knows the sort of the broad statistics that 1%, you know, of all VC goes into black and brown founders and all of that, you know, it's like substantially less than you, when you think about fund managers, $70 trillion of assets rolling around the globe and maybe, 0.5% of that is managed by, you know, black and brown people, um, with 90 plus percent being managed by predominantly white males. Um, and, and so when I think about that, I, I, I can't help but to think about the current state of affairs, you know, of black and brown, you know, fundraising and, and, um, and money going into, into startups um, led by black and brown people. And, you know, the over the course of 2021, we quadrupled that number. So the number of, of you know, investments and also the, the total amount of investment that went into black and brown, brown companies quadrupled. But then, you know, after a brief streak, a brief streak you know, I, I read an article, I, I think I shared it with you before this call, you know, um, Crunchbase, you know, article sort of denoted that, you know, venture capital has effectively ditched black startups. Um, do you see that today as the case, you know, um, and why, why is that different? you know, happening. I got, you know, George Floyd happened. Everyone understood the importance of, you know, writing you know, a lot of these historical wrongs, right? And, and it seems that things have, you know, sort of coalesced back to the, to the mean. Um, what's your perspective there and how can we, you know, sort of advance the, the goals of, you know, our, our, both of our firms? Yeah, I think um, this, is a, this is a complex issue and I don't want to oversimplify but in terms of fundraising for, for diverse founders right now or for diverse fund managers, 
I think we do have to look at the nature of the capital that was committed and the spirit in which it was committed, right? So why were those commitments made? I can speak for myself and tell you that I in no way invest in diverse founders as an act of charity or to shift the public opinion of my firm. I do it because I think it's where returns lie over the next generation. We're investors, right? So if you think the return lies in a specific area, that's where you're going to focus your time and attention. I do think there are some groups that focus their efforts on investing in diverse fund managers or fat reasons, right? And those reasons do lose, they do leave, they do sort of go out with the tide when things change. But I think um, and hope that there are some sources of capital. I, I, I in no way believe that this is a, abundant, but I think there are some sources of capital that emerged from 2020 actually understanding the market opportunity that lies in diversifying the base of, of people and companies they invest in. And I believe that if, if you actually understand that opportunity, that this is this is something you stick around for. Um, so that that is a distinction that I encourage, you know, other fund managers and also founders to consider, like, why, why did this commitment emerge and, and what's the nature and for how long? Is it a one-year, one-time thing or is it something that is a new maybe has current allocation in the balance sheet? That's really different. Um, so so that's, that's one thing I would say about that. I think the other compounding factor, and I'm concerned about this for, for communities of color broadly, not just, um, not just fund managers and founders, but that the economy is changing right now. And so there's going to be less capital deployed in general. 2021 was a record year for venture capital investment. And so we'll see some pullback across the board, irrespective of diversity. And so in that time, we also have to be aware of and careful about sort of um, just understanding the appetite there's going to be for new investments in general. I think that's something we're really working closely with our portfolio on. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a fair point. I think I think the other perspective I have is, you know, um, differentiation matters, right? And so, you know, regardless of your position on diversity, you know, you're you're a firm that makes diverse investments. You know, so what? You're like, why are you? What's what's your strategy that underlies? You know, the the nature of your investment. I I think it's got to be more than just diversity. And um, clearly, I, I, you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm echoing some of the things that you're saying, but um, has this all made it harder to, to raise money from LPs as a fund manager? And has it maybe made it harder to raise money, you know, as a, as a fund, as a, as a founder? And at what stage? Seed, Series A, you know, how do you think about that? So um, for us, has it made it harder to raise? I just got off a call with another diverse um, asset manager who who agreed with me that it looks like things will take a bit longer. Does that mean they won't close? No. Um, if, if the relationships were there and the plan was there, then what we're seeing is that like it will take folks a moment to react to where the markets are, are to assess where they think they're going and get comfortable with, with legal and, and moving things forward. But from a fundraising perspective, it hasn't driven away the LP base that we've been targeting. Um, that might be really different for other fund managers, depending on their fundraising strategies. I think founders are going to feel this, though. I think that, you know, the hope that we all felt when we saw a number of new diverse emerging managers banding together and able to get deals done, be early catalytic capital and diverse founder-led companies, 
some of those funds, um, even even mine, like my category, like it can it can reduce fund size, reduce liquidity, and make it harder for those founders to get funded by the, the investors who would see them first. And so I think founders will feel it. I also think if we um, if if some of the larger or other groups that haven't historically focused on black founders stop doing so because they didn't see it as necessarily strategic from a capital and returns perspective, then that founders are going to feel that as well. So uh, yes, I do think we're in for some, some challenges there. Yeah, that, you're, you make a great point. Um, I think the only thing I would add to that is, you know, that black founders, diverse founders, you know, have a, a sort of advantage in this market, right? Because, and maybe you agree, I, they, that they have to build companies more in a more capital efficient manner. Like they, you know, we don't get the benefit often of a hundred million dollar, you know, bloated valuation. I mean, you see that sometimes, but very, very rarely do you see, you know, a diverse company that has, you know, almost no revenue and, and some crazy valuation. And so they, they've had to execute in a manner that like has led to operational efficiency. Uh, has that been your perspective as well, or have you seen that? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think women founders, historically, I had noticed across all of my, my investing work that women-led companies were were really focused on capital efficiency from the beginning. And then when you layer racial diversity over that, so you look at Black women or Latino women, like, you are definitely seeing a group of people who have been held to such high standards to even get where they are, that they are going to want to make sure that things are, um, that their affairs are in order. One of the founders in in our portfolio always says, are our affairs in order, right? And, um, and a real focus on capital efficiency. While I'm concerned about Black founders as a whole, diverse founders as a whole in a market downturn, I am also really excited about the potential for emerging managers like me who know how to invest in this particular founder profile and who are committed to it for the long run because we're going to generate really exciting returns from this group of people. This is pe- this is people who have overcome um, more downturns than than most and um, and are and are prepared to do so both from a sort of psychological and mental health standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, are able to think strategically and weather difficult difficult times. Yeah, great point. Well said. Um, and so, how do we not get caught in the middle for founders? Right? You know, how do they, how should I think about managing market runway? You know, one of my founders is doing really well. You know. Um, you know, basically completely bootstrapped and I hasn't raised a single dollar in 10 months, got to 1 million AR. And then in the two months that I began working with him, planning the series A, um, built that up to 2.75 and, and, and ARR. Um, and so it was like in one year, it got to from zero to, you know, 2.75 million and, and ARR, very successful company, enterprise focused. Uh, we hope to lead their series A. Um, but like, as I think about like, you know, sort of planning for that 90 days, 120 days out, um, you know, it's kind of hard to understand where the market might be relative to where he is, given the strength of his company. Does that mean he should raise more money, less money? How should, you know, black founders and a myriad of scenarios, whether their companies are, are really, really succeeding or, you know, running flat, you know, how should they think about managing runway in an environment like this where, you know, things are changing pretty rapidly? Um, so I think one thing to consider, so I, I'm asking founders to think about a couple layers of risk. So one is like just your business today. So who do you sell to and how is this mm-hmm. recession going to impact them? 
are they going to be able to keep paying you, right? Because it's going to impact your metrics that investors look at. It's going to impact your cash on hand. It's also going to impact your team's morale. And that's something that I recognize is not a direct hit to the bottom line, but it absolutely can become one. And so I'm asking founders to think about that based on your business model. What's the risk in your customer uh, and target market? Then, yes, your financing plan. So how much runway do you have today? And I, it's doom and gloom and it can be scary to do, but I like to ask founders to look in the absolute worst case scenario and, and think about how they'd have their company survive that. Um, so is it that you'd, you'd seek, seek an acquisition? Maybe you'd take a second call about that acquisition offer that you heard before. Is it that you would take on debt? Like, I want to know how founders thinking about that set of options and evaluate them and understand where opportunity and sort of safe havens lie. Um, but in terms of managing runway today, as I'm meeting founders who are raising now, I'm asking them to consider raising for what could make 24 months of runway while revenue takes two times and assume at the same time that revenue will take two times as long to, to bring in. Um, I think I found that that exercise can be helpful for folks to recognize like how their business might actually take shape. Um, and founders are solving this in all sorts of ways, you know, while we're experiencing recession, we're also experiencing a tremendous number of other changes. So you've got more and more folks who are willing to not work full time, but want to work on a contract basis. Might you take advantage of that to get a couple of your, your seats filled at a lower cost? Or um, might you partner with other startups or, or large enterprises to, um, to, build, to build your business or to uh, build out more evidence that could be used at your next fundraise? So... We'll find lots of creative solutions, but those are the basic guiding principles that we're, we're talking through with our portfolio. That's, that's great, Lenore. I, I hope there are some fund managers that are listening to this right now because, you know, I, I talk to lots of fund managers and, and some of them don't really know how to coach their, their, their companies through these, like, rough, uncertain times. Um, but I, I think that is just, like, sage advice, and I'm putting that in my playbook, too, Lenore. Uh, you know, look at the risk within your customer base, you know, explore options like, you know, moving, you know, people over to part-time versus full-time, you know, uh, you know, modeling out, you know, some worst case, you know, scenarios, extending runway by 24 months. All these things are, I think, great um, um, suggestions. Um, what's in your, what's in your, your, your uh, Spotify today? What are you listening to these days? <laughs> Um, I'm actually really into Audible right now. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just like consuming a lot of books right now. Um, and my husband and I are together listening to this book on meditation that we have thought is really interesting. Huh. What did you share, please? Sure. It's one of the Joe Dispenza books. It's called Becoming Supernatural. And I, if you can't tell by our, our focus on well-being, I'm, I'm, I'm really into meditation. I find it really interesting. And I kind of use uh, reading and experimenting with different practices like that as a way to continue to refine my own toolkit for how to support the founders that we work with and um, and also maintain my own resilience and adult through through, you know, what what we know is a very long run. The truth that is the truth. No, that, that's um, that's such a great suggestion. I'm reading uh, George Mumford's book now. Um, it's, you know, super athlete or the, I forget the name of it. The mindful athlete. That's it. But he uses a variety of mindful techniques and meditation to help people get into the zone and stay what he calls in the eye of the storm, because that's the best place to make decisions from. You know, the storm is crazy and yes. you know flies things all over the place, but right at the center is um, is the place of calm. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's that's um that's a great that's a great suggestion. Um, yeah, 
anything else you want to share with my audience today about, about Bright Ventures or yourself that we didn't cover, um, you know, feel free to share. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, first of all, I'm adding your book recommendation to my list and my Audible queue, but also, uh, no, I think, you know, what I would share with your audience is like, you know, investment, especially venture is a really, is a really long game, as we just said, right? Like, um, so, so, so be, so be long-term minded as you're learning about opportunities in the economy. If you don't understand why investing in diverse founders is a really good opportunity from a market returns perspective, you have some learning to do, definitely check it out. Um, but also like, you know, we talked a lot about a downturn and challenges today. Markets happen in cycles, like take a long view, make decisions that will serve you um, several years from now is, is how I'm thinking about it. So I think that's all I would say and grateful again for the opportunity to share. Thank you. Thank you for the time today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Say It In The Room podcast. I'm your host, Luke Cooper. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support, please share it with others. To catch up with me, please follow me on Twitter at Ready, Set, Grind or catch me on LinkedIn under Luke Cooper Baltimore. That's all for this week. See you next time.